This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, joining me is an air traffic control tower manager, George Harper, to discuss what life is like working in a control tower. But, you know, before we begin, I have a few announcements. First of all, this is sponsored by AviationCareersPodcast.com scholarships page. Uh, And please go visit the scholarships page because there's scholarships for everybody out there. We have 38 new scholarships, 10 updates, uh, and a new one, a new index scholarships for adults. We're coming out with more aerospace engineering scholarships too. So we're really excited about that. Also, there are people that have wanted to actually pay it forward and we have a pay forward campaign so if you use a coupon code pay it forward all one word you may actually get a free scholarships guide so check that out remember all these coupon codes that we have out here the sponsors etc there are limited supply so give it a shot try it out any other coupons we mentioned in this podcast you might as well give it a try you might get one for free but for ten dollars you get one year access we update the scholarships guide every month we're well beyond $57 million in scholarships. We're closer to $100 million, but we haven't finished counting yet, and well over 1,000 pages in the guide. So it's a really good resource for people. Another thing I'd like you to do is check out our videos over on our YouTube channel. I just started a new series, and I've been talking about this a lot. It's called the Pilot Interview Course. A big part of our career coaching is we help people get ready for interviews, uh, and we also help people change careers and get into the career of aviation. In this Pilot Interview Course, the one on YouTube, I take one question from our pilot interview course, which is available right now just to our uh, coaching clients. But what we do is we ask a question. For instance, you know, what's the airspeed limits in class Bravo airspace, that type of thing. And those are all coming out once a week. So uh, short videos, probably about five to 10 minutes long, and you'll hopefully learn something each time. And I, I actually make those questions so that they're similar to a question you would get during an interview, during the interview process. So uh, it's not like you're getting ready for a check ride, but you know, you could actually probably use it. We'll get into things like 3585 and those type of things that aren't specific to say your instrument check ride, but 90% of this stuff is, is actually getting ready for the instrument check ride. Well, anyway, on with the show. Today we have with us uh, George Harper, who's an air traffic control manager at Punta Gorda. And uh, he actually is uh, one of the things that I really want to shout out to is last year in 2019, they were uh, named Facility of the Year uh, by Robinson Aviation. That's a corporation that uh, actually runs the towers there and uh, the pers- uh, people that he works for. And uh, I really hats off to them. I actually have had a lot of experience uh, working with Punta Gorda and recent experience, too. Years ago, I used to fly out of there, and I'm flying out of there again. It's been uh, wonderful, and they really do a great job at Punta Gorda. So, George Harper, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Hey, you know, George, I one of the things that we've always been challenged with is trying to find somebody who's an air traffic controller to come on and talk about the lifestyle, et cetera, of being an air traffic controller. So we really appreciate your coming here today and to give people advice and, and also, you know, if they're thinking about, you know, what it's like to be an air traffic controller, uh, they can actually glean it from what you're about to say. Um, but uh, first of all, just if you could give us a little background, I, I think we all kind of figure in life, to be an air traffic controller, you have to be this really special person and et cetera. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey into the the tower cab, as they might say. Oh, no problem. 
Um, I don't know about being a, a special person, but uh, it seems like we all are uh, interesting in one form or another. I mean, it, it takes that kind of type A personality to be able to make decisions under pressure and all of that. But, you know, the main question I get all the time is, uh, you know, man, isn't that a stressful job? And I'm thinking every job can be stressful, you know? I mean, uh, we've all got deadlines. We've got job expectations, things that have to happen to stay employed. Um, it's a little bit different in the light of the fact that, you know, it could be life-saving during different parts of the position for sure. But, you know, firefighters, police, I mean, every you know, there's, there's lots of positions that get tested with that. For me, you know, my journey started in the Navy and uh, was an air traffic controller in the Navy. And from uh, the Navy then, I got out of the Navy, went to a contract tower down at Key West International Airport. And that's when I got on with uh, this company I'm with now, Robinson Aviation. And um, we'll talk a little bit later on some of the requirements for FAA controllers. But for me, it was uh, timing, age, and choice. You know, in air traffic control, we have radar air traffic controllers where you're primarily working uh, approach control. You're working in route facilities. Um, you know, in the tower environment, a terminal environment, you're looking out the windows, working the area just around the, the airport itself. So, you know, with the radar job, it's it's kind of like uh, computer jobs or computer games. You know, you're you're working out angles and you're working out everything off of the screen in front of you. In a tower environment, you're actually physically watching the aircraft and relying far less on the radar returns. So. It seems like as air traffic controllers over the years, people seem to prefer one over the other, and I've worked both. Um, tower comes more naturally to me when I'm when I'm working on a radar screen, working approach control like I did at Naval Air Station Key West. Um, I could have you know 15, 20 airplanes on the scope, and I see the the problems and the possible traffic issues, and I'm doing math, and it's it's more like physical labor in the sense that. It doesn't just like come naturally when I look at it. I have to physically do the math. You know, how how fast is this aircraft going? How fast is he descending? The aircraft outbound, what outbound direction is he heading? And and I'm working angles and math and, and I could function, I could work it. Um, but in the tower environment, I might get the same situation with 10 or 12 airplanes and it kind of comes more naturally. It's like I naturally just kind of have a feel for exactly how things are going to work out. So um, I chose to stick with the tower side of the career because it was a lot more, uh, a lot more fun for me. So one of the things that you mentioned is tower and, and radar facilities. You know, I I was surprised when you said Key West. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are military facilities where they actually are contract towers, and they and that was something that I actually had not known before. Right. Well. If there's not a lot of those situations, but down at Key West, the Naval Air Station Key West provides all the radar air traffic control for that area. Um, gotcha. They've got 55 miles of airspace around Key West, and it goes up to 16,000 feet. Now, I should say that's dated information from when I was there. I don't believe any of that has changed. But they had over 177,000 square miles of warning areas. Naval Air Station Key West, um, it was one of the... I think top two at the time, adversary training bases. So that's where squadrons would come down to train to fight other, you know, enemy squadrons. So uh, we had, you know, one squadron base down there that was the the bad guys, if you will. 
and uh, the ships and naval bases would send, you know, squadrons down and they would come down to go out into those huge warning areas. And with our good weather, you know, down in South Florida and the Keys down there, uh, it enabled a lot of training with very little downtime, not to mention to have that kind of airspace access close to an airfield. So um, it made sense since there, you know, was a handful of little airports. Now, Key West International Airport was the only civilian airport that had controllers that was under Naval Air Station Key West jurisdiction. But uh, we worked the south side of Marathon, Summerlin Key, Sugarloaf, um, you know, had small landing strips. So, you know, we would definitely get a little bit of, of interest from that. But it, it worked out really well. When I first got down there to Naval Air Station Key West, the Key West International Airport was an FAA tower, and it was actually during that time that they transitioned to a contract tower. And, um, you know, for those that may be listening that don't know, uh, the FAA had all the air traffic control facilities in the beginning. Um, the move probably started, I believe, in early 1990s to mid-1990s to take some of their level one facilities, their lower traffic density facilities, and contract them out to civilian service. And then when they contract out these civilian services, um, all the controllers still have to be FAA certified. They have to have gone through some sort of training. And to get in these contract towers, you literally had to hold a control tower operator certification for at least three years. And uh, so the contract towers had opened up, you know, we couldn't hire off the street. We had to hire other traffic controllers. And uh, the reasoning, you know, came into funding. You know, there's smaller staff, there's less requirements, and they don't have the ability to train for a year and have someone that may or may not be able to work air traffic. So, you know, when they transitioned over to to the contract tower that gave me a, an increased opportunity when it came time to re-enlist, whether I was going to, you know, venture on to the FAA, go into a contract facility or stay in the military. So in going that route and in deciding to go to the contract and getting out of the military, that must have been a kind of a tough decision uh, between all those. Kind of maybe if you could somehow walk us through the benefits of, of all those different avenues to go contract FAA or, or staying in the military. Well, as we kind of discussed, you know, the main topic being towards, you know, air traffic as a career, there's a, a couple different routes to go. Um, if someone wanted to go directly into the FAA, they have a, a handful of requirements. The, the best starting point would be to go to www.faa.gov, and it kind of walks you through it. They post their openings on usajobs.com. And for someone with, you know, no experience off the street that just wants to become an air traffic controller, uh, to get into the FAA, they're going to have to um, target one of the openings that's that's open to everybody. And when they see jobs, you know, some of the jobs requirements say that you're, you know, currently FAA. They only open up to off the street hire, I believe, twice a year. And it is uh, a little bit of an arduous process to get in, but this is a very rewarding career. You have to be a United States citizen, be age 30 or under, and you know that means being hired uh, at the closing date of that application period before your 31st birthday. Now, the FAA is, is one way. Uh, the other way to get into air traffic is like I did, through the military. Um, I was a Navy air traffic controller. Uh, air Force and Army both have air traffic controllers. Marines have air traffic controllers. So, um, you know, going in through the military, you might find the military is the career you prefer once you're there as an air traffic controller. Um, 
for me, you know, I, I went in at the end of Desert Storm. And, you know, the first part of my military career was 22 out of 36 months being separated from family, going from, you know, one hot zone to the next. We had Operation Uphold Democracy in Haiti. There was a uh, no-fly zone in Iraq, uh, Mogadishu with Black Hawk Down. You know, we diverted down there, two different uh, six-month tours backed by a probably a three-month uh, tour down to Haiti. So it, it's hard being away from family that much. And uh, I got lucky. I got Naval Air Station Key West as my second facility. And when it came time to re-enlist, it just so happened that I was a, an approach control supervisor in the Navy, and I got to know the manager at Key West International Airport. And he uh, he said that I'd like to have you come work for me. And I'm thinking at the time, um, it's a lot more money, and I didn't have to go back out to sea. So I decided the civilian air traffic uh, community would would be more attractive to me at the time. And um, the contract towers that said you have to have previous experience to get into a contract facility. So, you know, working these contract towers, you would need to either have been an FAA controller or a military controller before you'd be eligible to be able to apply. The choice for me, you know, as I said, it came down to not going back out to see a little better financially. And when I got out, I was uh, 29 and uh, went into the contract tower world expecting to probably go into the FAA. And I got my first FAA offer 11 days after I turned 31. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were through the hiring process, and I got a call back from uh, from the lady up in Atlanta, and she said, I've tried. She goes, but we've got no way to hire you. And uh, typical government job, the rules are the rules. So even 11 days late with, at that point, you know, a lot of experience behind me, you know, both civilian and military, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get the position simply because I missed that 31st birthday cutoff. So wow. that must have been uh, challenging for you. Well, it, it was and it wasn't. The thing is, um, as I had mentioned before, I prefer tower control. I prefer looking out the windows and, and actually seeing what I do. You know, it comes more naturally. It's just more enjoyable. It was definitely something I was hoping in the FAA would be my route. But in the FAA, most of the jobs, I would say, would probably lean towards radar. They, they do have both by far. But a majority of the jobs, you know, are radar control jobs. And fiscally, if someone's looking, you know, to, to make as much money as they can in their career, uh, most of the radar facilities are making more money than the tower facilities. Now, there's a handful of tower facilities that, that do very well as, as well. Uh, you know, the big facilities, Chicago, here, Atlanta, you know, the, big, the busier the facility, the, the higher rating you get to make, uh, you know, more money. So, it all depends on what's more important. You know, for me, I like waking up every day happy to go to work and enjoying my job. <laughs> uh, that's kind of been my goal from the time I was a kid, you know, so to, to go to work and, and not like what I do as much, it, it ended up being a good thing to stay in the contract tower world. So you get up every day and go home after work. Right. And that that's a, a huge advantage to someone that, you know, spent 22 out of 36 months not being able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so so right there is a, a good reason to, to maybe move on from the military, because some people are probably listening that are thinking about moving on from the military. But I tell you, uh, what, that is such a great way, uh, an avenue to go is because when you go in the military, you're paid from day one. From day one, you get benefits. Oh, absolutely. And the training is outstanding. The uh the air traffic control school that the military puts you through is is an FAA air traffic you know control. We get the same pink card when we graduate that the the people would through the FAA. Um, 
you know, with an air traffic controller, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, be 30 or under, there is a medical examination. We have to pass a, a class two flight physical. And the reasoning is, uh, obviously, if, you know, we are in stressful situations and we have multiple people's lives on our hands, they don't want someone in poor health that may or may not be able to, to continue, you know. So we have to pass the class two flight physical. Uh, there is a psych evaluation. They want to make sure someone um, is going to be able to process information well, and they're going to make sure someone's able to handle stressful situations. So they're going to, you know, go through an evaluation to make sure that they put someone in that position that would be capable. There's a security investigation. You're going to go through, you know, a background check um, with being an air traffic controller, you know, depending on who's flying where. I mean, we could even have presidential movement. So you have to have a security clearance in the event that where you are working, you may have information that could be sensitive. Um, you have to be able to speak English clearly enough to be understood over communications equipment. So, you know, they want to have someone that can talk without slurring speech. And, you know, they want pilots to be able to understand them, especially in situations where pilots may not be able to hear as well. You need to have a, a good, clear voice. Uh, the FAA's requirements, high school diploma, three years of progressively responsible work experience or a bachelor's degree, a combination of, of you know, post-secondary education and work experience. Something that totals three years is, is usually something they're looking for if it's just a high school diploma. And with the FAA, you probably have to be willing to relocate to the FAA facility based on agency staffing needs and that type of thing. But, um, you know, it's great with the military. Uh, we've got a lot of controllers in the contract world that, you know, work their 20-year military career. A lot of people go in young, so they, they finish the military, you know, 38 to maybe mid-40s at the latest. And uh, there's still a lot of air traffic left in those guys. So we get a lot of those uh, people into the contract tower environment from the military that have that have served their 20 years. So that works out great. You know, they've got a military requirement and they've got a career they can continue on with, uh, you know, to keep them in an even better position. Um, contract world, as I said, you have to have a CTO, which is a, a control tower operator certificate. Uh, your clearance class two and uh, have to be able to obviously pass a drug test. We get random drug tests as far as that goes. They also uh, have to have three years of air traffic control tower experience, as I mentioned. So, you know, the contract world, um, you're, you're dealing with controllers that already have experience uh, from one facility or another. And that's always a good thing. Um, in, in the civilian world, you have an off-the-street hires as air traffic controllers. You know, we go through air traffic control school, and we learn the rules and the book work and separation requirements and weather. And, and you know, there, there's, there's a lot they throw at you. And air traffic control school is, uh, in the Navy, it was only four months long. And, I mean, the very first day we went into class, we came home with over four chapters. And we had to be tested on it the next day. And they put you under immense pressure. And at the time in the Navy, when I was there, the attrition rate was like 46 to 48 percent. And they do that to to weed out, you know, as much as they can of people that may or may not be able to physically do the job in the field. So you get through air traffic control school. And it's not to discourage people, because if it's something you want, if you're willing to work towards it, study. And, and uh, if this is a job for you then you're not going to have a problem. If if you have issues during air traffic control school, it's a lot more comfortable to deal with those issues than it would be to be out in the field with live airplanes and, and run into those same problems. But um, 
once you get your your pink card, as I mentioned before, which is you know your certificate that you've completed air traffic control training, then you go out into the field and work on the job training. Now, there's a lot of people that can pass every test and are incredibly book smart. They could tell you chapter and verse out of our 711065, which gives us about 99% of all of the, the rules that we follow as controllers for separation and safety. But sometimes once those people start talking on a microphone, as, as you probably know, working with aviators and, and students and everything flying, um, all of a sudden it gets hard to talk. <laughs> so being able to physically you know, take what you've learned on the books and then apply it to the real world where the airplanes are moving, they, they can't just stop and freeze the problem when things get complicated and the pressure gets on, uh, you know, and on the converse side, there are some people that survive the air traffic control school and survive all the book work with a lot of hard work, but then they get in the field and you can't sync these people with airplanes. They just can't get enough of them. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of all of that and radar air traffic control extremely rule-based. So a lot of people love that if they're providing all the rules, the the three-mile separation, a thousand feet, and then 20 degrees and course divergent. There's like a, there's 10 rules for every rule on radar. And all those rules are what keep everybody safe. And there's a lot of controllers that are very comforted with, I know all my rules, I apply all my rules, so I know all the airplanes I'm talking to will be safe. In the tower, there's, um, it, it's a lot less structured. There's, uh, I believe the quote is no separation required inside the class Delta where obviously, you know, you don't let them get that close. But at the same time, um, you know, speed sequencing, close in, you know, working, we have runway separation rules. We have wake turbulence rules. Um, there are rules to be had, but they're far less restrictive. So you have a little more free form, kind of like classical music you know, right off the script. And then you got jazz music where people are improvising. In a tower, you tend to do a little more improvising on your sequencing and, and getting airplanes in and out of the airfield. So, you know, as far as each job goes, they uh, they both have their advantages. The biggest disadvantage as an air traffic controller is it is a job where you can't make a mistake. And that's probably the the one thing that separates air traffic from a lot of other jobs. You know, someone puts the paper in the wrong place or puts a wrong, you know, number on a piece of paper. Those things can be corrected. Uh, in air traffic, all it takes is that one mistake, and it could lead to a situation that that ends up not being good. So, is that stressful? It, it can be, um, but at the same time, um, I think that's personal. You know, I mean, some people might be more stressed by it by others. That's why some people thrive and some people don't. You know, if you're confident in your abilities and you know what you're doing and you understand the job, you know, as I said, when you finish the book work, you're on the job training. So then you go to a facility and you actually are working with someone that is certified at that facility and they're plugged in with you and you try to work the traffic. And if you make mistakes, they'll override you and fix it and keep everything safe. They're like a safety monitor. Once you've proven your ability to work the traffic and, and apply your knowledge at that facility, then at that point you'll be certified. Now, whoever is training you on the job at that facility is not going to allow you to be certified until they know you're safe and you can operate the traffic. And at the same time, as a controller, you're going to know, you know, whether you can or cannot do the job. And I don't know of any controller that would, you know, 
that would want to be certified at a facility working aircraft where they thought they were going to make one of those mistakes. But it is something, I mean, you know, when you're plugged in, when you're working traffic, you have to be actively engaged in what you're doing. And um, there is no room for error. So you have to to put 100% attention into every decision that's made. Um, spatial relation skills. It's like, you know, when you're driving around in traffic, you know, if you're you're one of those people at a, at a stop sign that's really hesitant about trying to decide if you can pull out or not, or if the airplane ahead of you can pull out or not, or if they should, or that type of thing, uh, there's that possibility that, you know, air traffic might not be the best job. Um, you know, spatial relations, if you're, if you're in traffic and you can say, well, I could, you know, I can make this turn or I know that I can pull out in traffic here. Um, those are our basic skills that definitely uh, make the difference. Um, being good under pressure. I mean, I was a firefighter for a while as well down in the Keys on a, fire, a volunteer fire department. And uh, so good under pressure uh, w- was tested on a couple of different sides. Some people perform better under pressure than others. You know, I'd like to think that um, most controllers do that pretty well, but there are lives on the line. And uh, I've got a couple slides that, you know, we'll go through a little bit later, and, and it kind of illustrates that a little bit. And the biggest thing is attention to detail. It's the same thing from the military. So, you know, having the military background was very beneficial. Um, you know, every little every little detail makes a difference. You know, noticing an airspeed change, noticing an altitude change when there might be 10 airplanes on the scope that you're not expecting. You know, being able to catch all those little details. Um, but it's a challenge. You know, some people say it's kind of like playing a video game. You know, obviously the stakes are higher, but it's uh, it's fun. It's it, in, in my career, I, I've been blessed and, and been at some great facilities, worked with some great people. And I just love what we do. It's it's a fun job. So you still have fun doing it. You've been doing it for quite a few years. Yeah, I started uh, air traffic in the Navy. Um, I started my school in 1991 and and started in the field on the ship in early 92. And uh, I started um, land-based activities in 95 down at Naval Air Station Key West. And I I got out in 97 to work. Well, actually, I I started working at the contract facility before I was completely out of the military, uh, just working part-time. But I've been with uh, working VFR Towers now since September of 97. And absolutely. I mean, uh, the thing I love about our jobs, especially as a tower job, is every day it's slightly different. You know, you, you might have, you know, two or three fly-ins for breakfast on, on a Wednesday. And then on Thursday, maybe you've got eight or 10 or 12 guys that all fly out at the same time to go to breakfast somewhere else. And then maybe there's a Mooney convention in town where we do warbird training here at, at Punta Gorda, uh, where they come down and do squadron training. We have uh, an air show. Uh, the Florida International Air Show once a year. There's something different every single day. And even when there's not something special going on, one morning you might have an extensive amount of training earlier in the morning because there might be bad weather coming later, or you might have heavy amounts of you know training towards the afternoon because we had fog in the morning. So every day it's a little bit different. And even if you have the same 10 planes fly in and the same 10 planes fly out, uh, just where they approach from, what altitude they're at when they come in. Every problem, you know, we approach is different every day. So it's not necessarily the same stack of paper that you're moving from one spot to the other. It's not monotonous. And the best thing for me about air traffic is uh, when you get really busy, when you get, you know, 8, 10, 15, 20 airplanes, depending on what type of facility and where you're at, and 
the problem gets complicated. You make a few transmissions, you make a couple turns, you get everyone in a row, everyone lands safely, and then traffic dies off a little bit for a little bit. It kind of ebbs and flows. You actually get to physically see the job being done, kind of like washing your car. Your car's dirty, and it looks, you know, like it badly needs a wash. You can wash your car and look back at it, and it's all clean. You can actually physically see job accomplishment. And in air traffic, uh, we get that resolution daily, whether it's a difficult three or four plane scenario where everyone just happens to be in the wrong place, whether it's uh, one person that is making mistakes, which happens, which, you know, pilots that make mistakes is why we have air traffic controllers. And, you know, pilots listening to the radio, listening to air traffic controllers and monitoring what we're telling them to do, making sure that we don't mistakes. You know, it's, it's all a team concept. There's a lot of training that goes on in aviation. So um, there's a lot of people that make mistakes simply because they haven't had the training. Yet. They, they aren't certified pilots. So, you know, we're a, a level of safety to protect for that. So sometimes you might have 20 airplanes. Everything's going perfect. Everyone just happens to be in a spot that works with the other people. And life is easy. You could have three airplanes with one guy that's struggling or South Florida here. Let's say someone with a very strong accent or speaks limited English. And all of a sudden, three planes gets extremely difficult. You know, so being able to have a job that changes every single day uh, is, is for me personally, is something I enjoy. You know, not knowing what to expect every day, new challenges and, and that type of thing is a lot more fun. You know, I love what you said about the fact that you see the results. Uh, you see the plane land. You see a plane land safely. And that actually is quite appealing. I think that's a, re a reason a lot of people get into the job as an airline pilot. I was wondering, do you guys have an axiom like we do as airline pilots? It's hours of boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror. Is there something kind of similar that would, would describe it? I think maybe we stole that from you guys. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, air traffic, you know, we, we joke about that because, um, you know, before the COVID stuff and, and after this resolves, we'll be back to where we were. So if anyone's in the Punta Gorda area, please give us a call. We love doing tower tours and, and showing people what we do, letting them see, you know, behind the curtain, behind the scenes. You know, a lot of pilots don't realize, especially, um, you know, civilian pilots or general aviation pilots that, you know, the extent of their experience is their Cessna or their Cherokee. And that's not to limit that by any means. But they don't maybe see the bigger picture aviation wise, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And uh, sometimes they'll call us, let's say, on ground control at about 10 or 12 minutes before the hour, and we don't answer. Well, as a ground controller, especially in a contract tower, I'm probably recording the ADAs. I'm passing weather information to Fort Myers Approach Control based on the ADAs. We have to verify that the information that the ASOS machine is putting out correct. We're coordinating with local control to let them know who's coming out for next departure. So there's a lot that goes on that's not on the recorded line or on ground control frequency. So when they call up and they don't get an answer, you know, a couple of my pilot friends are like, geez, put down the cards, you know, <laughs> and they don't realize that there's a lot that goes on. I mean, actually, radio transmissions for an air traffic controller, I would say on most days are, uh, you know, maybe 60 percent of what we do. I mean, almost half of what we do is inner coordination between facilities, between other controllers in the, in the tower itself. There, there's uh, a lot that goes on that's not on the radio. So it's terrific when we can have people up in the tower and show them what we do and, and let them see the other side of it. 
Yeah, so you're not just eating popcorn between airplanes. No, no. Oh. And, but the funny thing is, the, the best part is, though, you know, so I, I make that speech, right? You know, we're really busy. And then someone comes up to the tower and um, we're not. <laughs> and that happens, you know. And, and I have to explain, you know, in that respect, um, it makes us a lot like first responders, like the firefighters and the, the police department, where we're not busy for the entire eight-hour shift. And it, it, that depends on the facility. If you're working at Chicago O'Hare, um, disregard that. If you're working at most air traffic facilities, um, you're going to have downtime here and there. You might have a really, really busy, crazy 45 minutes and then 15 minutes where things quiet down. And uh, it, it's it's just like you said, it's it's moments of boredom followed by you know moments of terror. And, and it all depends on on the scenario that you're experiencing at the time. Yeah, I think one of the reasons we say that is in the airline business. I think you, you get a little more excitement throughout the day. You know, when we're sitting there for hours on autopilot, you know, it's a little different. We get the excitement when we land and and that type of thing. So every job has a, its pluses and minuses. And one of the things that, you know, again, going back to what you said, you actually get to see the results, which I think is so cool about working in an air traffic control tower. Uh, I always get this question from especially younger folks is throughout the day, you're talking about being busy. Uh, how do you eat lunch and go to the bathroom and stuff like that? I mean, how, how does that work in your schedule? Like what, you know, it's like, Hey guys, I gotta go, I gotta run. Right. What happens there? <laughs> you know, um, in, in the FAA world, it's a little bit easier because they have large amounts of staff and, you know, crews that regularly rotate. So in most of these very busy facilities where someone can't just say, you know, Hey, everyone hang on for a minute. You know, you're working for maybe an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes at a time where you're on position. And I assure you, in those busier facilities, um, pretty much nothing crosses your mind other than all the problems you're constantly solving and then resolving as they redevelop at a continual basis. In slower facilities where in, in the contract facilities, for instance, where we have less staffing, there is staffing that overlaps from a morning shift to an afternoon shift. And uh, we have those periods of time where there might not be as much traffic. So depending on the facility, depending on, you know, what's going on, um, and obviously staffing, we provide each other breaks. Um, you know, if, if in our situation, we've got a, a tower controller and a ground controller at all times. So if it just happens to be a period where there might be only one or two airplanes, you know, within 10 miles of the airport, that's the perfect opportunity you take advantage of combine the positions for a couple seconds and, you know, do what you have to do and then take turns. But once you get busy, um, you'd be surprised what you don't think about, you know, and, and it's probably the same thing for, you know, pilots. When you guys are taking long trips, if all of a sudden you ran into some real heavy turbulence and uh, things, you know, were getting a little rough in the cockpit, you totally forget about things like having to use the bathroom. You know, right. and right. it doesn't even cross your mind until afterwards. You're like, oh, wow, I really have to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> and uh, exactly. so air drive is the same way. You know, there are plenty of times and, and ways to work that out. It's extremely rare you'd be in a situation where you were that kind of uncomfortable. But uh, it's an interesting environment, to say the least. Not to mention, you know, I got to say, these air traffic control towers, you're going to be really hard pressed to find an office with a better view. No, that's for sure. I mean, I, I mean if, office, you know, flying in an airplane, I, I get it. Okay. You know, but you're, you're one of very few people that can beat me. <laughs> right. Well, no, you get to see all the airplanes up close and personal. I don't get to see that. Uh, it, only on landing, I guess, but it really, you're right. I mean, the view is 
absolutely phenomenal up there. And I, I'm a big fan of lighthouses. It reminds me of climbing a lighthouse. Yep. And the the views you get, the sunrises, the sunsets, the 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 beautiful days out there. You, you just don't get to see that many other places, but in the control tower. Uh, so it it is a blessing there. As as far as um, the job itself, though, there's certain things that I think people need to have. Like in, people ask me about flying airplanes. You need some basic math. You need to know algebra, that type of thing. Uh, I think that it's more so maybe in air traffic control. And, uh, you know, as far as examples, do you have any examples? I think you talked about a, a little couple slides that we had. As a matter of fact, by the way, it's in the show notes that we have uh, what we're going to talk about next. And I'll try to put a YouTube together based on what, what we're talking about here so they can actually see that on YouTube. So uh, so go to the show notes if you're listening right now and check that out. But again, um, going back to the question, you know, as far as math and spatial orientation, you know, what are the special skills you need? And, and do you have examples like we're going to talk about? Well, I do. I, I apologize for some rather crude artwork, but I wanted to give someone at least a, a basic visual representation. And the first slide that we have um, kind of gives an idea on what we're looking at. In the middle of it, what you're seeing is uh, a gross depiction of the Punta Gorda Airport with three runways. The dotted lines you see is our class delta. Most towers have five miles and up to 2,500 feet of airspace. So that's the main area that, that we're going to be focused on. Now, we get aircraft outside that area checking in, and that's always beneficial because we can start setting the sequence and determining. And when you talk about math, if you guys look at slide one, uh, right at the top middle, I've got November 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, a Cessna 172, and that little number under the black dot is 085, 85 knots. So if he were to check in to land, and let's say we're landing runway 22, the top right runway, and then exec jet 312 calls a citation jet doing 190 knots on about an eight-mile final, and he's almost straight in. So your basic math and spatial relations skills come in where you have to make that decision. Who's number one? You know, the Cessna might have called me first, and uh, in air traffic, we do our very utmost, first come, first serve. But at the same time, um, if he's doing 85 knots, you know, by the time he travels two or three miles, that jet's going to be passing him before he gets to the runway. As you can see just by the speed, I mean, he's doing a little more than twice the airspeed, but yet he's not two times farther from the airport. So, you know, when you get, a, you know, your airplanes that you're talking to, you have to make that decision. And um, I had mentioned to you, Carl, before, you know, I'd, I'd made a, a talk with a, a high school group and they were like, you know, man, your job's pretty easy. And I was like, I agree. You know, I mean, uh, that's why I like it. Easy jobs are good. It's, you know, it's nothing <laughs> bad. And then I showed them uh, slide two, which is a little more accurate representation of what we would face as controllers on a regular basis. Now, you still see that same Cessna 12345 we talked about on the top and that same exec jet on final. But what you also see is about eight other airplanes. And that would be a more accurate representation of the problems we would solve during an average session. You know, we would have a conglomeration of folks all inbound that all want to land. And what you're not seeing in this representation is the two, three, four guys that are lined up on the runway that want to depart. So you have to look at the situation, the different airplanes, their positions, their airspeed, and decide who's number one, who's number two. And, you know, we had talked earlier, Carl, about that dirty car. Um, yes. Slide two is a dirty car. <laughs> this is the beginning of the scenario where you've got everything coming at you from different angles and you have to decide who's number one, who's number two. So what you end up doing is 
slow one guy down, speed one guy up, give one guy a turn to follow the next guy, you know, point them out to each other, let the pilots see each other so they can follow each other. And then as this resolves, which I, I should have written up, but I didn't write the resolve up, um, you end up with kind of like ducks in a row, you know, airplanes all filed in a single file line, you know, in a big loop, all working into the runway. And, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, an orchestra, Artwork. you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it very much is. It very much is. It, uh, and, you know, to be able to see that come from this, you know, second slide, that's a mess and see it form into a perfect organization where everything's sequenced. Everyone see each other. Everyone gets to come in and land. Um, you know, I, I get people like, say, the Cessna, you know, that called me first that one, two, three, four, five. And he doesn't understand why he's number three following that Allegiant doing 210 knots. That's on the top of the screen. and. Uh, as air traffic controllers, we want everyone, we treat every pilot, every airplane, almost like a hot potato. If you want to land, there is nothing more than we want to have you safely on the ground and off the runway and in the hangars. If you want to depart, we want nothing more than to get you airborne and clear of our airspace and on your way to wherever destination you want to go to. And the reasoning is, let's look at slide three. You know, we mentioned my job is easy, right? Well, it looks a little more complicated on slide two. If you look at slide three, more Incredibly creative artwork. That guy circled in red. He's now got an emergency. He's got smoke in the cockpit. He's got limited visibility, limited equipment, and uh, is definitely in jeopardy. We still have that dirty car out there that we had mentioned, as you can see. So now my easy job just got less easy. And um, this is where it makes the difference between people that are cut out for air traffic control and, and people that uh, want to do it, but it isn't for them. And, um, you know, no one wants to handle an emergency situation, but as air traffic controllers, this is where we get to shine, where we get to take this November 6-5 X-ray Tango I'm showing you, RVA, uh, make him number one. Let him worry about nothing other than what he has to do to safely get that aircraft on the ground. All that other stuff you see there, that's my job. I get that out of their way. Before he's even close to the field, I've got crash fire rescue standing by. I've got equipment personnel on hand. Uh, whatever I can do to support that aircraft and make his job easier, less complicated, you know, that's what we do. And, uh, you know, that's uh, what we enjoy as air traffic controllers more than anything is is providing safety of flight. In the old days, you know, the air traffic controllers told you what to do. And as a pilot, you're expected to do it because we were trying to save your life. And it's evolved over time. And now, especially my perspective of air traffic control is we're in a customer service business. That's the way I view it. You know, the pilots, the people flying, you guys are our customers. And what you want is what I want to provide, a service to you to keep you safe. You know, this this depiction here where you've got that one guy almost in the middle of the mess that probably should be number, he might have been able to get in number one with his airspeed if he made a short approach, but depending on his configuration and what you're not seeing there is an altitude, let's say he came in at 3,000 feet, he might not be low enough to be able to get in, you know, close in front of that jet. But more likely in this scenario, he would have been number four following that Cessna that we had talked about in the very first slide. But if he had an emergency, well, now he just became number one. And everyone else has to do something different to follow him. Um, and all those decisions have to be made. And whether, you know, that outcome is, you know, perfect or less than perfect, you know, as an air traffic controller, I'm still responsible for all those other dots out there. So. Um, where you might have an hour or two during the day or three, if it's a really bad weather day in a VFR tower where you might not have much traffic, 
when you have a scenario like this develop, it uh, levels the playing field, you know. So you have, uh, like every other job in the world, good days, bad days, easy jobs, hard jobs. This particular scenario right here would uh, would qualify as difficult for sure. Yeah, highly high stress. And this is really where the air traffic control shines. I've actually had a smoking in the cockpit a little over a year ago. And one thing that you realize is when you play it back, how much the air traffic controller is working and you're not focused on it you it, it's almost like tunnel vision you know the the pi all i'm doing is flying the airplane the air traffic controller is handling everything else so they're keeping you safe which is is amazing it's amazing too how people are able to work the tower very efficiently so the two things that to me as a as you called us the customers are important is number one safety number two is efficiency and there there's days you sit there and you're like how in the world do they do that that's you know you're like that's great and you just want to get on the microphone and say hey great job you know because i had no clue what the heck was going on around me you just told me which way to go etc and uh and of course there's those days where where the challenge goes the other way but one thing i I really love about this scenario. And by the way, if you're you're listening, all those slides we went through, like I said, we're going to have a you know a video on this later. But you can find them online in the show notes. You can actually glean from that some really good information, even not looking at the slides. Uh, but you know, as far as advice to people, this this sounds kind of stressful. I think from from that viewpoint, but it's a lot of fun also. For somebody who's thinking about getting into this, what is kind of the general advice you would give somebody? Somebody who just has not even started yet. Someone who's just like, hey, where do I go? You know, is there some kind of general overall advice you give somebody? It would um, depend on a few things. Um, what age that they're starting their career at, uh, what their career goals would be. Um, as far as your traffic, I mean, you know, we mentioned the stressful in that situation. It could be stressful, but I mean, imagine walking and all of a sudden, you know, you got 10 steps in front of you. Well, one of those steps, if you step on it wrong, you know, has a bunch of spikes and it's going to hurt your foot. Um, you, and you know, it's the third step and we're all pretty good at walking, right? You know, so, you know, to be careful when you get to that third step. Well, air traffic, as far as the stress factor goes, um, you work aircraft every day, you get very good at it. It becomes second nature. So maybe not quite as easy as walking, but you get the idea. I mean, it becomes something that you do every day. That's a routine thing. So when you get this situation, you know, to someone that's not an air traffic controller and you're thinking, oh, heavens, that's so stressful. I'd have a heart attack. It, it's not as bad for us because we've got the training. We've got the knowledge. We work traffic every day. You know, when I look at that situation and that guy has an emergency, instantly I see about 10 different things to do with all those other airplanes. And when we're working air traffic, let's say we have, you know, five airplanes, A, B, C, D, and E, um, you come up with a plan A, you know, who's number one, who's number two. The second you have that plan, and I give that plan to the pilots, I give them the instructions to follow that plan, I am instantly working on plan B. Well, what happens if this number two guy doesn't slow down? Or what happens if number three guy has an emergency? What would I do in that situation? I'm always solving problems that don't exist yet. Um, and then when I work out plan B, I start working on plan C and plan D. And you have layers of plans in mind and all these ideas of what you're going to do and you plan for any possible change in the current situation. And, you know, when you're dealing with the human reaction, changes can happen. And, you know, things can happen in the cockpit. Uh, unexplained, you know, weather phenomena can exist. I mean, there's a million and one different reasons why things might change from the original plan. Or as a pilot, if you're number three following a guy ahead of you to your right, well, once that guy makes the turn, maybe you lose sight of him. 
you know, so now all of a sudden, you know, where do you turn? If, if you had sight of them, I might expect to turn right behind them. If you lose sight of them, it's going to be more distance, which now number four has to space out. So, you know, we always have that second, third and fourth plan on hand and ready to activate at a moment's notice. You know, so the stress factor can be there in the sense that, um, as I said before, you can't make mistakes. You've got to be right. You've got to. In that being said, I mean, if I tried to make that Cessna number one and the jet's going faster, well, I just made a mistake. It doesn't mean something horrible is going to happen instantly. It means now I've got to send the jet around and climb him above him, and, and he's got to fly a whole another loop around the field to come back and try to land again. So not every mistake is is going to be a fatal mistake, but it could be. So the stress is not quite as critical as you might think in a situation in the sense that we're well prepared for it. It's like a firefighter or a policeman, you know, a burning house is definitely a dangerous environment, but they're trained. They know how to approach it. They know how to solve that problem. As air traffic controllers, by the time you're in the field working air traffic, you're going to be the same way. You're going to be well-trained. You're going to be knowledgeable. You're going to be skilled enough and have proven that uh, during your on-the-job training to be able to handle those situations when they develop. So it's contingency planning to the max. Uh, so you really, you really have to understand that. And you know, good pilots, good everything in life should you have a contingency plan. Uh, you just have to have uh, quite a bit of experience in the contingency planning, and also constantly making plan B, C, D, and E, and F. You know, so interesting stuff. You know, one thing we didn't mention, and I, I'll quote this as far as the the pay and benefits. I know people always ask me, you know, what the pay is like as far as uh, air traffic controllers, and this based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's uh, the median pay is $122,990 is what they say. Uh, as far as hiring, uh, the job outlooks, et cetera, um, you know, there's there's a decent outlook. There's just, it's, it's a small change. It's not a big one. Uh, but there's, one of the things that we have to understand is also benefits. And there's benefits to both uh, what you're doing for the contract tower and also for the, the government benefits. So there's, there is a difference. So you know, in the government jobs, I think we know it's all on the internet, that type of thing, as far as their pensions, et cetera. What can you expect working, um, first of all, the numbers that I gave right there as far as uh, median pay uh, and also second benefits that you get, like uh, retirement, that type of thing? Right. Well, you know, as far as pay scales, most of it's available. You know, you mentioned the 122. When I looked at the FAA website on USA Jobs just to get an idea, they quoted a median annual wage of 127.805, and that was in 2016, according to their website. The thing is, with air traffic and wages, um, you know what we do. It can be stressful, and it's a highly technical field. I mean, there's a lot to learn to become an air traffic controller. So, you know, it's like a degree field. The, the pay scale is, is definitely reasonable, but the pay scale is also very slanted depending on what type of facility and where you're working. Um, if you're working a very high traffic facility, such as a Chicago O'Hare, or you're working Atlanta Center or Cleveland Center, you know, where you've got large amounts of volume and difficulty and that type of thing, you can expect to be above, if not well above that pay scale. And if you're working, you know, slower facilities, um, you know, under that. As a contract tower facility, they don't have the the typical benefits as, you know, like a, a retirement plan and that type of thing, the way the FAA has it set up. But you have regular wages, and wages for contract towers are determined by the Department of Labor. And the Department of Labor makes wage determinations on every job from, you know, a cleaning lady to a car rental person to an air traffic controller or firefighter. And those Department of Labor statistics are usually based on a tri-county area. 
So if there was some place that you were interested in looking, you could go to the Department of Labor and you could see what the rates would be, you know, to be expected in that area. And it varies, you know, some places are more expensive to live than others. So the Department of Labor, you know, makes sure that the wages are different accordingly. When I worked at Key West International Airport, um, you know, cost of living down there is pretty expensive. So, you know, even though I'm doing the same job here at Punta Gorda, Florida, and I'm only, you know, four hours away, four and a half hours, the pay scale is different. And uh, it's equally as comfortable as far as my cost of living goes. It just uh, is different than what it was down there. So, you know, pay scale is is the one sticky point, but um, it's, you know, it's worth saying that it's a good job. It definitely is a good job. How about for like benefits as, uh, as far as the retirement benefits for somebody working in a contract tower? Is that something very similar or same thing? Uh, no, where they have you know, there's um, in the contract tower environment right now, there's three major companies that, that work uh, federal contract towers. Circo's got most of the facilities out west. Midwest has uh, most of the facilities all in the Midwest areas, you can imagine, and New England area. Uh, Robinson Aviation, who I work for, has uh, southeastern United States and through some of the central United States, Texas, Oklahoma. More or less, the contracts were awarded fairly equally, you know, for the the major, you know, three companies. So it, it distributes it fairly well. Each contractor has kind of a, a slightly different, you know, program set up. They don't necessarily have a... Um, like a FERS or typical retirement or government type retirement plan, but they do provide a 401k that you can, you know, buy into as you go. You have your regular Department of Labor wages, and then there's um, an additional package on top of that that air traffic controllers will receive. And that uh, compensation above that is what's used to, um, you know, purchase your medical insurance, your life insurance um, to use towards your 401k. And, you know, to build up your own retirement that way. So um, definitely the benefits as far as regular benefits package, government jobs are, are impossible to be. Uh, contract tower jobs, um, you know, the, the, the benefits packages, um, some people like them, some people aren't as impressed. But all in all, it's extremely competitive with, with almost any decent career that's out there. So th- that's good information to know, the pay, the benefits. Uh, it's going to be similar to working for a, a company out there. Not quite like a you know a government job, like you said, um, but uh, the federal jobs, I should say, as far as FAA. But in general, it's a great job. It's great benefits. And uh, it's fun. It's challenging, uh, like you said. And it's something that I think some people think that they can't do it. Uh, you know, I always hear people say, I just think it's too much stress, et cetera. But it sounds like, yeah, there is stress, but it's also a lot of fun. And there are times you get to really sit back and enjoy it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a fun job. So, George, uh, I really appreciate your stopping by today. If people have questions, of course, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We'll send those questions along to George. Is there anything else we didn't go over uh, that you might want to say or something you want to say in closing uh, to our audience as far as air traffic control jobs? Well, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to to share some of the information. You know, there's um, as far as careers go, there's not a lot of air traffic controllers where there's a lot of other jobs. So it's uh, kind of an elite field in that sense that, uh, you know, there's not a ton of us. And that's why there seems to be so much mystery, I think, behind the job is uh, not a lot of people know someone that's an air traffic controller. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned right at the very beginning, you know, we were fortunate enough this year to be uh, Tower of the Year. You caught me. Uh, 
pretty much at the height of my job and I'm loving it here. So the timing couldn't be better as far as that goes. And in air traffic, you know, it's like a medical field. Um, we need aviation. Uh, people need to get from point A to point B. Commerce needs to get from point A to point B. Packages, mail. I mean, there, there's always going to be a need for air traffic controllers, just like there's always going to be a need for pilots. Um, so, so those jobs are there. It, don't get discouraged if it's something you want to do. Um, it's like anything in life. You, you have to want it. You have to be willing to, to go through the process to get there. Um, the FAA process can take some time. From what I understand, if you find that job opening for off the street hire and you apply, I think uh, some people have been in the, the network for six to nine months before they even get a potential school date. Um, it, it takes time to go through the process, the background checks, the physicals, the psych evaluations, and then you know, ranking applicants against each other and, and they make their best choices from there. So it, it is a process, but you just have to be willing to, to, you know, put forth that effort because it's a career that's going to be well worth it in the long run. The military side of it, you know, we're doing the same air traffic control as they do in the civilian world, only we're doing with military airplanes. And I got to say, you know, working Naval Air Station Key West talking to fighter jets all day was a seriously fun job. Maybe not the volume on a daily basis that some of the bigger facilities have, but the difference is everyone's going so much faster. You've got split second decision-making all day long. So, you know, each job and position has its own, um, you know, situation that can develop. But uh, no, I, I would just encourage anyone, if it's something they wanted to do, you know, go after it, put the time and effort into it because it's a career you'll be uh, not only enjoying doing, but it's one you can be proud of too. Again, George, thanks so much for uh, stopping by and talking to us about uh, careers in the air traffic control world. And, of course, if there's questions, we'll forward them to you, and I'm sure we'll get some as far as uh, at the podcast, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. This has been terrific, George, and you know what? We might be talking tomorrow. Excellent. Excellent. Look forward to it. Take care, Carl. (laughs) Thanks. And, you know, if you're listening right now, and there's a lot of information we put out here, those links to, like I said, uh, the little presentation we had are out there. We'll also put that on the YouTube channel. And if there's anything else that you want in- information on, they'll be down below in the show notes. And if, of course, you can send us an email, we'll send it right along to George. But one of the things that's really important to me and to everybody else in this field is after this is over, no matter what you're thinking about doing in your career, et cetera, that you take action. Uh, and that's how you move forward in any career. I know it's, you know, we're recording this during this COVID crisis, but it's very, very important to not stop, to keep moving forward. It could be a small step. It could be a large leap, but you need to do something. Take action today. Do something now to move forward in your career, in your life. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.